HealthWise. Welcome to episode 40 of the HealthWise Report, the audio edition. I'm Sarah Courier. Thomas recently wrote an expose about how the American educational system churns out young Marxists. It's perhaps the biggest problem facing our society. The fact that we haven't yet realized the seriousness and pervasiveness of this problem leaves us vulnerable to the type of socialistic infection that's already striking the rest of the world with much more severity. The communists have left one country after another bleeding like roadkill, in their journey toward bringing the world together in a one-world socialist government. For them to win, to obtain their warped version of a utopia, the fabric of our society must be destroyed. Perverting our constitution is not enough. They are engaging in the usual class warfare of turning nations, races, and even the sexes against one another. They are particularly rewriting our history and targeting the Christian church. Thomas will be explaining why. This audio report is the expose. Here's Thomas with it. One man's freedom is another's oppression. Many people have misjudged me over the course of the years and misjudged the organization that I represent. We have borne the burden of stereotypes because of what we represent. We operate an alternative medicine research organization. Countless people have assumed that we must have very liberal political leanings, that we are uneducated, that we have promoted medical frauds which could have hurt innocent people, or simply that we're damn fools. In actuality, we are none of these things. Due to our reports about alternative medicine, and particularly in regard to our chastisement of mainstream medicine, many have assumed that we are crazed conspiracy theorists. We do, in fact, contend that there are pervasive conspiracies within our medical establishment and within our educational establishment. For many, this is exactly where the conversation stops. It stops when we start suggesting that there is something so terribly wrong that it must have been intentionally orchestrated, and it is therefore a conspiracy. The repulsion that some people feel for our work happens from the conditioning of our society, in much the same way Pavlov trained his dogs to respond to a bell. The regular media has done this to us. When we mention conspiracy, or get called conspiracy theorists, many people stop listening. They do exactly what they were trained to do, on cue. Would our mainstream media work so diligently at suppressing and mocking conspiracy theorists if there were actually no conspiracies? It raises the more important question of, are there actually conspiracies? 
Most people think not, as they have been trained to do. However, conspiracies are the meat of human history, for history is the long chain of events wherein groups have conspired for the resources of other groups. The study of conspiracies is history itself. To not believe in the existence of conspiracies is to delusionally deny the entirety of human history. So who has the sounder mental health? Is it he who believes that there are conspiracies at play? Or is it he who believes that no conspiracies exist? The fact that we need to even ask such questions attests to just how much our society has been conditioned through its educational systems and how well the leftist media has trained us to simply stop questioning the means and motivations of those in power. It does not bode well for the maintenance of a healthy and thriving society. Those who raise the arduous questions are labeled as conspiracy theorists, and it is quickly made clear that the rest of us are expected to disregard such people. Otherwise, we too shall find ourselves labeled. As one of the fortunate few, I got a truly classical education, as was once normal throughout the United States, before forced integration warped the educational standards toward a direction that few wanted to go. During my high school years, I was educated at a military academy. The school was certainly old school, and the cadets could have easily been mistaken for an army of Confederates that had gotten itself lost in time. There was no political correctness, no banning of God or any other type of institutional dishonesty, which has become so disparagingly prevalent. We took the academic subjects very seriously, most especially U.S. history. We knew that our history was special and that America held a special position in the world. It was something to be very proud of. We knew that in the grand scheme of world events, America had given to the world much more than it had taken. My military academy days were those of the Cold War, and the Soviets were not finished with their communistic empire building. We Americans really were the leaders of the free world. Only America had a chance on taking on the bear and winning against it. Knowledge of this kept the Soviets in check until America could bankrupt them by means of an arms race. Europe, Britain, Canada, Australia, and the rest of the free and civilized world owe their very existence to us. They owe us, the American people, for giving them lives that are worth living. It is a debt that they can never repay, but this inheritance has nonetheless been largely squandered. The Cold War officially ended, at least it did according to our media, but it never ended. It just began another phase, in which our enemy's psychological warfare refocused into a renewed policy of destroying free nations from within. Much of the free world was deceived about the supposed ending of the Cold War. As such, most of the countries which were saved from communism eventually came to embrace varying degrees of socialism, believing that they could tame the beaten communism within their own countries. It was a type of political and economic heroin, and the narcotic left the ignorant feeling that they could not get trapped themselves. This is how it always begins. Now we find Great Britain, desperately trying to escape from the European Union, before it is too late. The British people have seen the horrendous collapse of Greece as an unmistakable example of what is always inevitable with tame communism, even when they have been made to forget their own history. The typical socialistic results are much lowered standards of living, decimated educational systems for the communist hate history, and a loss of very basic freedoms. Even the freedom of speech is lost, and it is often the first thing to go, for free speech is critical for education 
and sincere political discourse. Take as an example of what has transpired. The use of the word Arab is forbidden throughout England, for this word is defined as, quote, racial hate speech, unquote. So Arabs are ridiculously referred to as Asians in England. The socialistic powers that be are purportedly ensuring that the word Arab does not link to the word terrorist. So the word Arab has been literally removed from the British vocabulary, and British citizens get arrested for using the word. Arrests are especially likely whenever the offending citizens are Caucasian. Historically speaking, this is absolutely how communists have always deviously incited racism, class warfare, while pretending to fight racism. They begin by stimulating the racism-slash-class hatreds. Then they demonize the resultant social-slash-racial problems. And finally, they pretend to be the only solution. In other words, they poison society by playing both sides as part of a divide-and-conquer strategy. Socialism has happened because people were told the usual propaganda, which proclaims that free men can obtain better lives only if they trade their liberties and responsibilities for government management of their lives. The resulting degrees of socialism that have occurred in recent history has yielded varying degrees of fascism. For fascism is the merger of state and corporate power for the purpose of controlling citizens. Benito Mussolini, Hitler's Italian counterpart, explained it in exactly this way. Socialized citizens have always been tricked by the very same lies that history has repeatedly warned us about. It was not until my college days that I experienced the grotesque history revisionism of Christian shame, capitalistic shame, male shame, and the most prominent one of them all, white shame. The college's representatives had dishonestly marketed that the liberal arts part of their programs meant that the education would be balanced over many disciplines, and that the education would essentially be the opposite of what a person would experience at a trade school. Those so-called liberals did what they do best, lying and uneducating. As the well-disciplined guy from a military school, I hardly blended into their liberal arts crowd. I was almost immediately called a fascist for my love of God and country. They contended that the obvious proof of my fascism was my unwillingness to accept the blame for all of society's problems, as I should have for being white, male, well-to-do, and Christian. I represented the ultimate evil as an intelligent, well-educated, articulate, white and Christian male who is not too cowardly to fight back with facts and honest history. I remember how a political science class strayed to attack American business owners with the included fact that the owners rarely pay any tax. I made the mistake of responding with real facts that I knew from my family's construction business, like how most businesses in the U.S. were paying double, while paying most of the taxes for employees as well. Soon after, my friends were being approached by professors who would interrogate my friends about being my friends, and then chastise them for it. The college went into a lawsuit alert, and the institutional hostility really escalated after I trapped a professor into proving that all of my papers were automatically downgraded, regardless of their content. The trapped malefactor was an English professor who had been widely labeling me as illiterate, so perhaps this expose will put an end to that rumor. The situation became so polarized that they seemed to feel that I was somehow channeling Hitler. And they let me know about it with the swastika that they affixed onto my dorm room door. And yes, that really happened. 
It was not long before I realized that the professors only believe in freedom of speech until they must debate with someone who can win. Then their social justice suddenly becomes much more important than the basic liberties and academic freedoms of which they supposedly believe in. Their institutional warfare against all that is good is not merely a spiritual assault, but it holds a strong component of economic warfare too. Let us put any political correctness aside for a moment for some potentially painful honesty. Who built the truly great societies throughout all of history? Was it one indigenous tribe or another in some far-flung region? Was it really the Aztecs? Was it the nomadic tribes of Africa? They started black slavery, not the whites, by the way. Was it groups of dedicated women? The Muslims? Let's just be honest about it. The greatest civilizations, which had the best in technology, in industry, in education, in freedoms, and in every regard that ought to matter to us, were built by Caucasian men. Of course, most of these great men were supported by great women. The very best were built by Christian capitalists, for Christianity and capitalism encourage achievement and merit. If one can break free from the veil of political correctness for long enough to accept these fundamental truths about our history and the history of the world, then the component of economic warfare becomes apparent. For their utopian dream, which is communism, capitalism must be made to fail. The economy is greatly damaged because they have fundamentally indoctrinated our Christian, white men, to be inherently ashamed of who they are and what they are. Those who once gravitated toward being society's cream of the crop are now failing in mass because they have been indoctrinated into the insecurity that the only success for them is failure. They inwardly believe that they must fail to give every other group, and females, a chance of success. This is the crux of leftist social justice, and it ought to be absolutely insulting to every group of people. We know of it as class warfare, but it actually goes deeper than we realize. Our inability to realize this is a part of the great problem that faces us. So far, the apparent delusions of the leftist have caused the majority of us to underestimate them and their strategies. It is at our peril if we continue underestimating them. While studying alternative medicine, we have learned about many things that did not involve medicine. One of the first lessons that we learned is that if one wants the truth and real results, then he must never trust the experts. We found that the experts never cure anybody of anything, because finding cures means changing the status quo. The gatekeepers and the supposed authorities are the people who have the most reason to thwart meaningful progress. They would be replaced by the people who made progress if any progress were allowed to occur. Another thing that we have learned from our work is that one should target the root cause of a disease instead of merely its symptoms. Ultimately, our struggle for truth is the same futile struggle that all good people are facing. We cannot win against decades of indoctrination. Part of the problem is that none of the good citizens have yet adequately adapted to the new rules of war, and Marxists never play fairly. We have unwittingly helped the other side for a generation or two, because we did not learn to adapt to their strategy. It entails the transformation of education into Marxist re-education. Our schools and colleges have shamefully become gulags for dissenting libertarians, conservatives, and Christians alike. The universities have become a living hell for anyone with a moral compass. 
We did nothing to prepare the young, nor have we even acknowledged the seriousness of the problem. We failed, and the enemies of our society took full advantage of our blindness. Mercy and compromise were never in their vocabulary, for they are communists. Our response has been the worst possible one. We sent our kids into these dark places. We told them to embrace whatever was being taught for the sake of getting a good education, and the deviation from the education meant punishment. We should have been more attentive, instead of assuming that our kids were the problem, for they had been trying to tell us the truth the whole time. Perhaps drugging them into submission was not the wise approach, and perhaps we should have perceived the suggestion that we do as a terrible warning about the character of the teachers. We should have known better, as we perpetually told our children that educators were society's admirable experts, whose authority was never to be seriously questioned, all the while diminishing our own influence, the influence of the church, and all other positive influences in their lives. It is no wonder that so many of our young children are monsters, for they were thoroughly versed in immorality by Marxist traitors who we specifically entrusted them to admire. For there to be any hope of salvation for our children and our country, we are eventually going to have to march on our educational establishments with torches and pitchforks, or do something that is even more drastic. A problematic failure within our educational establishment is that, in a very real sense, its employees have never experienced the world that they are so vocal about. They spend their entire lives framed within the educational complex, never to join the workforce or start a business. As such, they do not experience the strangling governmental regulations, which cause most businesses to choke during infancy, nor do they have any familiarity with overhead expenses. In the vast majority of real-world businesses, products are being sold. Products cost money to manufacture or acquire from other businesses. Companies are burdened with extreme regulations at both the state and federal levels, relating to every component of their products, how their products may traverse state lines, how products may be labeled, and in what establishments their products may be sold. One regulatory example is a document by the United States Department of Agriculture, which explains in a 23-page book what may be sold as a pickle, including all of the acceptable angles of the vegetable's curvature. A perfectly straight cucumber can never be legally sold in any of the U.S. states as a pickle, so companies must hire additional employees as straightness sorters. Next. There is the federally regulated cost of employees, wherein most companies must pay about four times each employee's wage due to the various employment taxes, disability taxes, social security taxes, and mandatory health insurance. So, whenever an employee is hired for $10 an hour, his employer actually pays about $40 an hour for his work. The employee is not likely to know about the $30 difference. He might simply believe, as all of our educators do, the business owners are sheltered from paying taxes and are getting a free ride. Yet, his employer must pay his own taxes at a much higher rate, a special, quote, corporate tax, unquote, penalty for just owning a business, and, of course, the ridiculously high tax for every employee hired. Thus, some workers who earn only the minimum wage are actually getting more money than their bosses, after taxes, that is. These progressive taxes ensure that most businesses fail. The situation that we find ourselves in should be seen for what it really is. Namely, it is economic warfare from the leftists, who have conspired to sabotage our capitalistic society, and all of us are literally paying dearly for it. 
The man who operates a fast food establishment lives in a world that is far removed from the college professor. Public school teachers are likewise among the few who love the nanny state because they already work as drones in a big hive. They do not understand the significance of individual freedoms because they have chosen careers in which they do not have any. Everything is decided for them by the system. It is a bit like military life, except teachers' lives lack the opportunities for leadership, the need to make real decisions, and most importantly, their lives lack personal accountability for their actions. All of these are requirements for living in the world that the rest of us know. The leftist traits of educators can also be clearly observed amongst modern internet companies. Unlike the burger joints, which literally earn only a few pennies per burger sold, running Twitter or Facebook means having no overhead. The vast majority of money that the internet companies see is purely profit. For them, with their obscene profits and very few expenses or regulations, a $15 minimum wage makes perfect sense. Their programmers have long since seen wages far in excess of the minimum, so there would be no change for them. They measure their profits in the billions and have never had any regulatory problems because they do not have any tangible products to be sold. They absolutely have no clue about the implications of increasing the minimum wage for real businesses, like the businesses which have been paying the bulk of the taxes, and these are the same taxes that the internet companies have been hypocritically escaping themselves. When we take into account their candy-coated lens into our world, it is easy to understand why concepts like the right to free health care seem so self-evident to them, for they assume that normal businesses likewise have unlimited money. Precious few of those people have ever attempted to run a real business, and virtually none of them have ever performed an honest day of work. The trouble is that most of the world does not live in their artificial world. Whole Foods Market, for example, is widely known for its notoriously high prices, yet it only has a profit margin of about 3%. And this is a higher profit margin than is normal for the retail market. A college professor has trouble grasping why raising the wages of those in industries like the retail and restaurant industry would mean that fewer employees will be hired. In these situations, replacing employees with machines becomes not only cost-effective, but essential for survival. The average professor already earns about $100,000 each year, and he can never be terminated because of his tenure, which is a concept that only exists in the artificial world of education. The same problem exists for the public schools. Teachers have no grasp of the real world, and they also cannot be fired because of their memberships in the teachers' unions. These problems, by the way, were codified into our laws by the same crowd of Marxist leftists. It should be obvious how much they actually care about real education. Nowadays, the only route to getting terminated once one is inside the educational establishment is to say something that defends traditional American values. And then they always find a way to oust someone through a technicality. The most important step in saving this country is identifying the traitors within it. They can be found at all of the colleges. This includes the church colleges, which are often the worst offenders. It has long been believed that a college education is the key to success in this nation. The opposite is almost true now, and what the professors treacherously teach is nothing less than economic sabotage. This is true even for academic curriculums, which one would otherwise assume could not be tainted by the leftists, such as business classes. As part of the warfare 
Students are being taught business principles that would destroy any business, and the economic aftermath of this is everywhere. The college students of today are furthermore being trained to be sociopathic through the institutional promotion of emotional intelligence ideology. So if the students have not been made incompetent enough to fail, then at least they shall be made to be immoral enough to never succeed. Either way, we lose big and get one step closer to collapse and another step closer to what Marxists believe will be a socialistic utopia, for they believe that it would be the inevitable solution for our failed capitalism. For anyone who still doubts that conspiracies exist, a brief examination of what colleges are now teaching should remove all doubts. In fact, some professors are willing to openly talk about their social engineering and economic engineering. Some of them are quite proud of the dishonesty and treason. At the same time, they inwardly fear that someday the public shall eventually recognize them for being the traitors that they are. So there's always railing against McCarthyism at practically every campus. Readers should easily recall this if they attended any U.S. college within the last 20 years. McCarthyism is a term that they use to describe the historical persecution of communist infiltrators in media organizations. My take on McCarthyism is that on one hand, witch hunts would superficially seem to be very bad things, but on the other hand, witch hunting is only bad if the witches do not exist. A wise parent who wants a successful child should save the $100,000 that would be spent on college and invest it into a new business venture for the child. Otherwise, the result could be a child who has been spiritually damaged, for if he is a white male, he may be taught to believe that meaningful success in the world means personal failure as a human being, and that he should be ashamed of wealth, success, and for being productive. If the child belongs to another social group, then he will likewise be taught to fail, and this will be brought about by a sense of entitlement. He will blame his failures on those around him, rather than his lack of meaningful productivity. These things endlessly perpetuate the class warfare within the workplace after graduation, as they are intended to do. The Marxists play these games because communism cannot survive in a healthy and vibrant state. So socialists encourage and reward mediocrity, not merit. Throughout our public schools and colleges, mediocrity is rewarded and creativity is punished. The problem for students was rarely defiance or attention deficit. It was something far more insidious and much more difficult to remedy. We had better start paying attention to the real problem. Our futures and everything that we hold dear as a society depend upon it.